Chapter Fourteen of The Call of the Wildflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Call of the Wildflower by Henry Salt. Chapter Fourteen Dales of Derbyshire. Deeper and narrower grew the dell. It seemed some mountain rent and riven a channel for the stream had given so high the cliffs of limestone gray hung beetling over the torrent's way scott the limestone dales of derbyshire are narrow and deep and their streams when visible for they often lurk underground are swift strong and of crystal clearness the sides of the glens are in some places precipitous with bluffs and pinnacles of gray rock in others ridged and streaked with terraces of alternate crag and turf above the cliffs there is often a tableland of bleak pastures divided by stone walls as dreary a scene as could be imagined when contrasted with the picturesque dales below the flowers of these limestone valleys immediately recall those of the chalk the marjoram the basil the great knapweed the traveller's joy the rock rose the musk thistle these and many other familiar friends make us seem at first sight to be back in sussex or surrey but in reality we are a hundred and fifty miles nearer to the arctic zone and that difference is clearly reflected in the flora for when we look around a number of new plants make their appearance of which a dozen or more are very rare or quite unknown in the south i once lived for several years on the hills above chesterfield a good way to the east of this limestone country and to visit the nearest of the dales there was a walk of seven miles to and fro across the intervening high moors that form the southern buttress of the pennines stony middleton is far from being one of the pleasantest of peakland villages but such was the interest of its flora that the fourteen-mile trudge and more was often undertaken during the summer months after traversing the great heathery moors devoted to the cult of the grouse and descending from the rocky rampart of gritstone known as Kerbar Edge, one crosses the valley of the Derwent, and here a pause may be made to notice a patch of sweet Sicily, one of the loveliest of the umbelliferous tribe. It is a charming sight as it stands up tall in the sunshine, with its soft, feathery, cream-white masses of foliage, and its fern-like leaflets. Too fair and fragile it would seem for human hands, for it droops very soon if cut. Every part of it, stalk leaves flowers and fruit has the same aromatic fragrance its local name is anise and so gracious is it to sight scent and touch that one longs to bathe one's senses in its luxuriance middleton dale naturally beautiful but sadly deformed by lime kilns is famous for a cliff known as the lover's leap from which an enamoured maiden is said to have thrown herself down had it been the love of flowers rather than of man that tempted her to that dizzy verge there would have been no cause for surprise for there are many alluring plants on the ledges of the scarp including a brilliant show of wild wallflowers in may and june there may be found along the northern side of the dale the yellow petals of the spring cinquefoil potentia verna a gem of a flower which in mr reginald farrer's words clings to the white cliff face and from far off you see a splash of gold on the grayness a month later the equally attractive nottingham catchfly silene nutans will be abundant on the rocks a plant of nocturnal habits which expands its petals and becomes fragrant in the evening 
but nods, as its Latin name avows, in the daytime, when it wears a sleepy and somewhat dissipated look, like a wassailer, a white campion that has been on spree. By night, its beauty is beyond cavil. On the lower slopes is a colony of a still stranger-looking flower, the woolly-headed thistle, whose involucre is so bulky, and its scales so densely wrapped in white down, that it has an almost grotesque appearance, as of a thistle with swelled head. It is, however, a very handsome plant, and when growing in vast numbers, as I have seen it in one of its special haunts, near Witchwood Forest in Oxfordshire, it makes a glorious spectacle. Of the three species of saxifrages, the rue-leaved, the meadow, and the mossy, that thrive along the bottom of the dale, the two former are southern as well as northern flowers, but the presence of the mossy saxifrage is a sign that we are in a mountainous region, and as such it is always welcome. With these grows the graceful vernal sandwort, another flower of the hills, and so often the companion of saxifrages that it is naturally associated with them in the mind. But Middleton Dale, the nearest to my starting point, and therefore the most frequently visited by me, is much surpassed in floral wealth by the long valley of the Wye, which in its course from Buxton to Bakewell bears the names successively of Wydale, Cheedale, Millersdale, and Monsaldale. In one or another of these four glens, nearly all the rarer limestone flowers have their station. You may find, for instance, three very local crucifers, the two Whitlow grasses, Draba incana and Draba moralis, remarkable only as being scarce in other parts of the kingdom, and the really beautiful little Hutchinsia, with its tiny white blossoms and finely cut pinnate leaves. Jacob's Ladder, a handsome blue flower, very uncommon in a wild state, is also native on the bluffs and slopes in Cheedale and elsewhere. In fact, a stroll along almost any of the limestone escarpments will bring new treasures to sight. But the flower which I best love is one which grows by the streamside. In Wydale it is in profusion. The modest water avens, often strangely undervalued by writers who describe it as dingy. Thus, in Delamere's The Flower Garden, it is stated that this avens is more remarkable for having been one of the favorites, the whims, the caprices of the great Linnaeus, than for anything else. It is hard to say what, in a British meadow weed, could so take the fancy of the master. Was ever such blindness of eye, such hardness of heart? And the wiseacre goes on to say that it is impossible to account logically for attachments and sympathies. Logic truly would be out of place in such a connection, but it is not difficult to understand Linnaeus's feelings towards the water avens. There's a rare beauty in the droop of its bell-like head and its soft and subdued tints. The deep rufous brown of the long sepals, through which peep the silky petals, in hues that range from creamy white to vinous red, and all steeped in a quiet radiance as of some old stained glass, I must own to thinking it the most tenderly beautiful of all English wildflowers. The hybrid between the water avens and the common avens is occasionally found by the Y. One which I saw in Millersdale had green sepals and petals of pale yellow. The alpine pennycress, Thlaspe alpestri, a crucifer native on limestone rocks, may be seen on the high tor at Matlock, where it grows with the vernal sandwort on debris at the mouth of caves, a graceful little plant with white flowers and a smooth, unbranched stem, so closely clasped by the narrow leaves as to give it the look of a perfoliate. One other limestone district shall be mentioned, 
the hills round Castleton. Cavedale, approached by a narrow gorge close to the village, is well worth the flower-lover's attention, for bleak and bare as it is, its slippery sides harbor some interesting plants, such as the mountain rue, Thelictrum minus, and the scurvy grass, Cochlearia alpina, both in considerable quantity. In the Winnets, too, the steep ravine which overhangs the road from Castleton to Chapel and Lefrith, one may find Jacob's Ladder and other rarities on the rocks, and the gorgeous mountain pansy, Viola lutea, is not far distant on the upland heaths and pastures. The list is far from being exhausted, but enough has been said to show that there is no lack of entertainment among these limestone dales. To enter one of them after crossing the moorland from the dreary coal district of East Derbyshire is like stepping from penury to plenty, from wilderness to paradise. There is a change of coloring that instantly attracts the eye. Even in early spring, the little shining crane's bill decks the walls and lower rocks with its rose-petaled flowers, and at midsummer, the more showy stone crop flings a veritable cloth of gold over the crags and lawns. Few localities present so many charming flowers in so limited a space. And now let us turn from the limestone valleys to those of the millstone grit. The controversy as to which part of Derbyshire best deserves the name of the peak has always seemed a vain one, not merely because there is no peak in the county at all, but because no connoisseur can doubt for a moment that the district which alone has the true characteristics of a mountain is the great triangular plateau of gritstone known as Kinderscout. Less beautiful than the limestone dales with their beetling crags and wealth of flowers, the wilder region surrounding the scout has the advantage of being a real bit of mountain scenery, topped as it is with black tors and towers that rise out of the heather and flanked with rocky edges from which its steep cloughs descend into the valleys below. Unfortunately, this great rocky table land has of late years become almost a terra incognita to the nature lover, as a result of the agreement which was made, after prolonged controversy, between the Peak District Society and the grouse-shooting landlords, inasmuch as, while permitting the traveler to skirt the shoulders of the hill, it excluded him wholly from its summit. With the exception of the heather, the bilberry, and a few kindred species, the plants of the gritstone hills are sparse, but there is one, the cloudberry, so-called, according to Gerard's rather magniloquent description, because it groweth naturally upon the tops of high mountains, where the clouds are lower than the tops of the same all winter long, which well repays a pilgrimage. It is a prostrate and spineless bramble, Rubus camoa morris, highly valued in northern countries for its rich orange-colored fruit. It grows thickly on the ground, making a dark green patch in marked contrast to the coarse herbage, and towards the end of June one may see a profusion of the large white blossoms and a few early-formed berries at the same time. There is a good-sized plot of it near the summit of the pass that crosses the shoulder of Kinder Scout from Edel Head. But of the plants that grow on the Scout itself I am unable to speak, for my only visit to it, not reckoning an unsuccessful attempt when I was turned back by a keeper, took place in the depth of a very snowy winter. It was on the afternoon of a frosty January day, when the sun was already low, that in the company of my friend Bertram Lloyd, and armed with a passport, in the form of a letter of permission, given us by the courtesy of one of the owners of the shooting, I climbed from Edel, through the region of right-of-way into that of flagrant trespass. We felt an unusual sense of legality, 
as we passed a weather-beaten notice-board with a half-obliterated threat that trespassers would be cuted whether executed electrocuted or prosecuted was left to the imagination of the offender and i think the strangeness of his position was rather embarrassing to my companion who is such a confirmed trespasser that he feels as if something must be amiss unless there is a gamekeeper to be reckoned with like the mountain ram in thompson seton's story who was so accustomed to be hunted that he became moody and restless when his pursuer was not in sight but at the time of our visit no passport was demanded for the keepers like the grouse themselves appeared to have deserted the heights for the valleys indeed hardly any life at all was to be seen with the exception of a gray mountain hare couched upon a stack of rock who regarded us with a mild and curious eye as we passed some two hundred feet above him and seemed to be satisfied that we were harmless nor was this lack of life surprising for a more desolate scene could hardly be imagined a great snow-clad moss intersected by deep ruts which being choked with snow had somewhat of the appearance of crevasses and punctuated here and there with the black masonry of the tours from the highest point that we reached marked in the ordnance map as two thousand and eighty-eight feet there was a wonderful sunset view though the manchester district that lies to the west of the scout was hidden in lurid fog it is said that snowdon a hundred miles distant has been seen from this point it was certainly not visible upon the occasion to which i refer it is impossible to visit this high mountain plateau lying as it does about an equal distance from manchester and sheffield without feeling that what is now a private grouse moor must before many years have passed become a nationalized park or reservation a playground for the dwellers in the great midland cities and a sanctuary for wild animals and plants the time will assuredly come when the sport of the few will have to give way to the health and recreation of the many end of chapter fourteen recording by colleen mcmahon